on this episode of 40 Thrive. This might not only be one of my all-time favorite podcast conversations, but one of my favorite conversations, period. If you're ready to get real and raw and work through some of the pain that maybe you've been holding on to, this is the episode for you. But don't be fooled. It's also filled with a whole lot of laughs and some seriously colorful language. So headphones are a must if you're at work or around little ones. All right, let's do this. You're listening to the 40 Thrive Podcast, the show created for women 40 and beyond, ready to shake things up. And now, your host, Jackie McDougall. Welcome to another episode of 40 Thrive. I'm your host and mentor of all things midlife, Jackie. Today, I'm talking with licensed marriage and family therapist, Melody Murray-Parks. Not only does Melody work as a mental health evaluator in the ER and runs her own private practice, she's also had an eventful career in television, worked as an actor, hosted a children's show, and performed stand-up comedy. Two minutes after meeting Melody, you'll be like, of course she did. This episode of 40 Thrive is brought to you by Cunal Liquid Turmeric. Say that three times fast. I recently wrote about this product in the 40 Thrive community because I use it and I am totally hooked. In fact, I will only talk about products and services here that I personally endorse, so you know I love it. There are absolutely no random sponsorship ads on this podcast. Cunal Liquid Turmeric provides one of nature's best kept secrets, curcuminoids, a group of antioxidants that have strong natural anti-inflammatory benefits. Curcumin can also play a major role in supporting joint health, and how many of us need that? Plus, Cunal Liquid Turmeric contains a patented black pepper extract that enhances absorption and increases bioavailability. That's the whole thing. There may be some great supplements and vitamins out there, but if you can't actually absorb them into your body, they're crap, right? So this is something that I absolutely love and I know that you will love too. And you can save 15% on three bottles or more plus free shipping. Just head on over to 40thrive.com forward slash episode 54 for more info. Okay, so Monday, we launched a second super mini episode called Thrive in 40, a quick tip to kickstart your week in 40 seconds or less. Have you heard it yet? In the premiere episode, psychotherapist Stacey Kaiser shares her top tip to help us boost self-esteem, motivation, and feel happier. We all want that, right? These Monday morning quick tips have been created to help you get a really great positive kickstart to the week when you're waiting for that Thursday podcast to come out. So go check out the very first one at 40thrive.com forward slash T-I-F-1. That's 40thrive.com forward slash T-I-F and the number one, T-I-F for Thrive in 40. And the other thing we announced last week has finally come. I am super stoked about this. Thriver of the week. I need a drum roll here. Each week, I will be featuring one woman from the 40 Thrive free and private Facebook community as our Thriver of the week. One of the things I most love about this is that our Thriver is by self-submission only. 
What does that mean? It means you got to get over the fear of being too extra and show up and tell us all about you and what makes you so damn special. I know it's tough for a lot of women to embrace that badass confident side. So I think it's awesome how many women have nominated themselves already for this honor. To nominate yourself, head on over to 40thrive.com forward slash episode 54. Okay, without further ado, this week's Thriver of the Week is Heather Stewart. I'm going to read a little bit of Heather's submission. At the age of 44, I started taking improv classes at Second City Hollywood. Now, if you don't know Second City, like some of the biggest names in comedy have come from there. So Heather says, not because I want to act or needed to take classes, simply because it sounded fun and I had an affinity for it. I've been going nonstop since February 2018. Okay, so Heather has had to do her very first auditions, get headshots taken just to move up to the next level in the class, and has found so much joy. This month, Heather began her graduation process by presenting an original sketch show with seven other super talented women. They're called Jane Fonda's Cellmates because it's the first title someone came up with that made them all laugh hysterically. Heather adds, we're arrestingly funny. So I took a chance and did something because I thought it would be fun. Did I think about my age? Of course. Did it stop me? Nope. Find a way to do things that bring you joy, regardless of how old you may be. Thank you, Heather, and congratulations. And if you're in the LA area and you want to check out Jane Fonda's cellmates in person, head on over to 40thrive.com forward slash episode 54. Okay, I think we checked all the boxes. We talked about Thrive in 40, how you get that on Mondays. We celebrated our very first Thriver of the week. Now let's get into my conversation with Melody Murray Parks. Thank you so much for coming here. Girl, thanks for inviting me. Oh my gosh. And it's sort of like on your jet set tour. I feel like Mick Jagger. I went from, (laughs) I've been gone for weeks now. I went from Seattle where I live to Atlanta. And then I went to Ghana, Egypt, Morocco, and the Netherlands. And now I'm in LA, and then I have to head back to uh, Seattle tomorrow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That, you must be exhausted. My wings are tired. <laughs> and yet here you are all fresh-faced and ready you to go. Know, I think that I run on batteries. Like whenever I know I need to do something, I just perform. Like I think I have sleep apnea. And so I did the sleep test like days before I left on this trip. I did the at-home sleep test. you got to oh. fail the at-home part before oh, you go and really? do it in their clinic. Yeah. So I got all this shit connected to me, and, and I'm like, I sleep like shit. I feel like I was a farmer in a former life. I sleep in shifts. Three hours, wake up, do some housework, go back to sleep for a few hours, get up, go back to sleep. Are you serious? It sucks. But I'm just so used to it. So I do this sleep study. I'm like, yeah, they're going to realize I'm the worst sleeping person on the planet. And I sleep seven hours straight. (laughs) seven hours straight and so I'm talking to my ex-husband about it he was like it's performance he's like you have to perform (laughs) your body knew that they were like they were you know clocking you and so I the best sleep I'd had in years and it needed to be the worst wow and I I I could talk about this the whole time we have so many things to talk about but I have to ask like how do they gauge your sleep in the sleep study do you 
like attach something to your body? They do. Yes, you attach some type of apparatus right above your throat, like above your sternum and that kind of throat area, and then you put you slip your finger in this cuff thing, oh. and then it it takes your pulse, uh-huh. and basically what it's doing it's monitoring how much you stop breathing as you're asleep. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And you just went to like a, I don't even know what kind of doctor does. I mean, there are sleep clinics, there, right? There are sleep clinics. There are doctors that are dedicated to just sleep. That's yeah. how important sleep is. And whenever you're doing any type of like uh, most psychological testings, there's always a question about the quality of your sleep. Okay. Mark my words, ladies, you're listening right now and you're like, I need to hear more about that. I, when we are done here, I'm calling a sleep expert <laughs> and I am scheduling yes. that person in. Because that is one of the biggest mm-hmm challenges of women over 40. It's a big deal because it can indicate so many different things. It could mean that you're you've, you there's too much caffeine in your system. Mm. It could be signaling that menopause is a coming. <laughs> Not sleeping also is a signal that, that maybe there's some unresolved trauma that's going on. Because when you if you notice that you're waking up at the exact same time every night, like right when REM sleep is supposed to be happening. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the movie Inside Out, that cute little yes. animated movie? Yes. Well, they talk about it. When you sleep, that's when your memories are looking for places to live in your in your brain, in your subconscious. Well, if there's certain traumatic experiences that you've had and your brain's like, oh, hell no, not doing it, that's when you wake up. Oh, uh huh. Interesting. And your brain, because you start, your adrenaline starts to rise because you're remembering whatever event that went down, your adrenaline starts to rise and then you wake up. Oh. So if you notice that you're waking up at the exact same time, there are a lot of things that could be going on. I just thought on. there are ghosts in the house or something. <laughs> that Casper. <laughs> Casper, that loud asshole. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different reasons. And so, yeah, sleep is extremely important because if you're not getting good quality sleep, it, it could signal a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. So I want to like, we just jumped in and I didn't even, which <laughs> is amazing. And it's exactly how I roll too. But I want the audience to understand who you are and how you probably come across a lot of women over 40 who mm-hmm. aren't sleeping, who make rash decisions or <laughs> or have other things going on or the trauma. So you are a licensed marriage and family therapist up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. You are a child mental health specialist in private practice. You, mm-hmm. You're doing all this amazing, impactful, meaningful work. But you and I knew each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back in the early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I and was an assistant working for two executives at a TV studio and where there you I was. Were. Yep. Yes. Promo queen. Oh my goodness. And then you, what happened? Like you were, because you were, I mean, you were rocking and rolling in TV. It wasn't like. I was, yeah. I had a great time. And even before I moved, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. And so I was acting in commercials and I was doing independent film. I hosted a children's show for a while. And then I decided to move to LA. I got a job. I got an offer from an amazing person that's still a mentor of mine to this day. Because I decided that, you know, I was doing in front of the camera. I wanted to learn behind the camera. And so I got a job working as a runner at Extra, my very first <laughs> extra. job, Extra, Extra, and I would literally like, I'd pick up something from one place and I'd run it across town to another <laughs> place, and I did that for a while, and then I became an assistant, and then I left and I decided I want to be a producer, and so I reached out to that same mentor, right. and I said, I think I want to take, you know, try my hand at producing, and he's like, all right, I got a job for you that starts in three weeks, and that's literally what happened whenever I decided I wanted to move from Houston to LA. I sent an email to this one person that I knew in LA and I said, I 
think I want to move to LA. And he's like, all right, I got a job for you. It starts in three weeks. <laughs> so then I produced and I produced and I directed as well mm -hmm. in TV. And I did all kinds of amazing stuff all over the world working in, in TV behind the camera. Wow. And yeah. then, you know, some might think you'd continue doing that, but no, what happened? <laughs> well, it, I, there were a series of things that had happened. Like I pitched a ton of shows for a while. Like I was a pitching machine, but I didn't, I was pitching before I had producing experience. And so I had shows stolen left and right. Oh, and so that just burned me up. Yeah. So you had ideas that you were pitching and, then, and not necessarily the team or the experience behind you. Mm -hmm. So it was easy to sort of manipulate and just take it out. Exactly, exactly. And so then I shifted and then I started producing and then I didn't pitch a damn thing. Once I started producing, I <laughs> yeah. didn't pitch a damn thing. But I had two shows, two programs, that, um, two shows that I produced back to back. One was, um, and I won't say the name, but it was a cable show. And I don't even know how to describe this without, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's so obvious. It's so fucking obvious. But I did a show that there were so many unethical things that were mm, happening. Mm -hmm. And I never even used that word. Nobody uses that word in television. This mm. is unethical. Yeah. I mean, people want to put cameras on yeah. unethical shit. <laughs> but there was some stuff that was going on where this person on camera had this really, this battle, this real battle that was going on. And that was the whole point of the show is profiling this battle. Mm. But it's like she was exploiting herself. Production was exploiting her. And it just felt wrong. Right. And I brought it up. I brought it up. And it was just like laughed off that, that uh. what was going on just did not feel right at all. So I quit. Before before I quit, though, I sent an email to someone saying, I'm at a job that's shit. <laughs> Get me out of here. And so an old boss that I'd worked with before um, on an MTV show said, all right, cool. I need you in Vegas. I need you here in a couple of days. And I was like, sweet. So I quit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. On a Wednesday, I packed all my shit on a Thursday, and I was in Vegas on that Friday. Wow. Yeah. And then and then I had another really strong moment on this next show that I did where there was this young kid that I initially knew I was going to hate this kid. He was... <laughs> He was the president of his Young Republicans Club. So he was he was on camera? He was on camera. Okay. He was on camera okay. on this show. Because whenever you're doing, I do this a lot Vegas of- Vegas show. I did a lot of house reality shows and and they give you all the casting information beforehand. So you can get acquainted with the cast and you can somewhat anticipate who's going to fight with who and who's going to fuck who and right. you know, all that kind of stuff. And so- <laughs> and, uh, and that's all by design people. And honestly, I had, um, I don't know if you ever heard this episode- but if you go back to episode, I think it's 22 and 23. I'll make sure I put it in the show notes. I talk with Moana Dixon, who was the number two on The Bachelor when oh, Travis Stork back, yeah. you know, Travis Stork, people know from blonde, oh, the doctors or doctor. whatever. Yeah. Um, you think? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's not my he's not your cup he's of tea. not my cup of tea <laughs> but she was on that show and it wrecked her it mm. wrecked her she, I, I our interview was so raw and so long yeah. that I broke it into two parts but you have to go back and listen to that oh hell yeah she was she held no punches I <laughs> so, love her she sounds yes. like my idol she is amazing yeah yeah so she was the, she was they really manipulated her to think she was winning and she had this like secret relationship happening with him behind the scenes. And then she just. She got screwed. She and, got screwed. And not in a good way. 
Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to take over, but Damn. like talk about like the reality TV and they and they do that on purpose. They get these different personalities and they, you know, they manipulate it because that's what's good TV. And you know what? And I did casting, so I was producer and I was a director and I did casting on a variety of different shows. Mm-hmm. So I know like all sides of how this whole thing goes down. Right. And so whenever I, the very first show the one that made me go, "Okay, I got to do something else." And what it was is I like I said, I'm an early I'm a really really early riser and I had a day off on set and I didn't get out of bed until one in the afternoon. Wow. And I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. And I'm like, I've got to do something else, but what the hell is it? I don't know what it's going to be. I'd need to figure it out because I can't do this anymore. And this person on the show was doing therapy on camera and I on camera oh, therapy. Yeah. And I was like this, I, I, I am just this armchair therapist. <laughs> I had not even thought about being a therapist or anything at that point. And was thinking, like, I knew what this person had gone through. And it was like they were tap dancing around this. Like, the, the elephant was out there and no one was talking about it. And mm. I was like, this is just wrong. It's just wrong. And so I ended up leaving, started this other show, and had a moment with this kid on this show. All the cast members were out on a trip. He stayed behind because his mother was coming to town. And his... Mother was dying of cancer. Oh. This may have been the last time he was going to see her. Uh, multiple siblings. And they had a really tough relationship that on paper. But in person, he had showed so much grace towards this woman. And I was so curious. And I'd been traveling so much that I took my crew out of the ring. Like, I don't want to travel. I don't want to go on this trip. Let's just stay behind. And the EP was like, that's totally great because this this kid, he can't go because his mother's coming to visit at the exact same time that everybody else is going out of town. I'm like, right. fucking perfect. <laughs> so we're just shooting him interacting with his mom. And I'm watching this kid and, and he's so loving and he's so caring and not knowing at the time, like this kid was parentified. He came with multiple, he was one of like six or seven siblings, and he was very much parenting her. He was so careful and kind and loving with her. She was not doing that with him. He was doing that with her. And I thought it was just so fascinating. And so the weekend progressed. And, and this we, is the kid you thought was going to be. I knew I was going to hate this kid. Yeah. I loved this kid immediately. <laughs> he was fucking amazing. Talk wow. about not judging a book by its cover. right? And so the weekend goes and she's leaving and he puts all her bags in the car. The car drives away. We are following this kid going from where he dropped the, the bags to where he's staying. And I have my crew in the house with him, and they're following him. I pull my crew out of the room. He, this poor kid, 21 years old, is ping-ponging all around the room, just full of emotion, full of energy. And I'm in a control room, and this camera's all over the place, and I'm watching him try to distract himself. I didn't use that word, right. but that's what he was trying to distract himself because he didn't want to feel. Yeah. After about an hour and a half of trying to read and trying to eat and trying to play games and bowling and shooting pool and all this stuff, he calls me and he says, Mel, can I get my mic? Take it off. I want to take a nap. Normally I would send my audio mixer in there to do that. I decided to do it myself. Mm. Walked into the room and I saw this little kid, this 21-year-old killed, and he was just like full just full of so many things 21 years of stuff and I held his hand and he fell on the floor and he cried and I got on the floor and I cried with him now I would have gotten fired from that you know not putting that on camera you know and I was so grateful that it was a situation that he and I could just have together because I saw myself in him 
my mother was a fucking nightmare. My mother was a drug addict. My mother put men ahead of all of her children. I saw myself in this child and I never would have, I never would have imagined that before. And he was just trying to hold it together. Wow. And he'd been able to hold it together for a very long time. And he had a moment that he was pretty much completely alone, except for me. And he couldn't hold it together any longer. And with those two experiences back to back, that's when I said, I got to do something else. I got to do something bigger. I got to do something more. I can't just put a camera on someone having a meltdown. I can't just be behind the scenes. I can't see these young people, which is who I was working with primarily on these shows. I can't see them deconstruct and not intervene in some way. I have to do something else. Absolutely. And so that's when I decided... I'd been in therapy on my own for years, and that's when I decided, I think this is what I want to do. So after I left that shoot, came back to LA, had a session with my therapist, and I said, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Am I crazy to think this? He goes, no, you'd be brilliant. He goes, and whatever letters you need to get into school, I'll write them. Amazing. There you go. And at what point, what age were you at this point? Approximately. 37? Oh, really? I started graduate school... At 39 years old. Whoa. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Uh-huh. I was thinking you were like, because I mean, here's the thing. You, you could be 120 and I would, no one can guess your age. Oh, you funny. are one of those. <laughs> Black don't crack, Jackie, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Clearly, <laughs> exhibit A in front of me. <laughs> Seriously, go to the show notes, go to wherever you're listening to this and check out the photo because she's absolutely stunning. <laughs> so 39 going to graduate school. Starting graduate school at 39 years old. Wow. Yeah. And you were married at that point? No. Oh, no. still not married. I was dating. We were dating at that point. Uh, we'd been together four years. We'd wow. been together four years at that point. So yeah. you're approaching 40 and you're ready to go to graduate school. Totally and- threw a monkey wrench and what, and you know, and, and I think maybe that's, that's me being dramatic. Didn't throw a monkey wrench on <laughs> anything because I was always about pivoting. Yeah. Anytime anything shifted, anytime something presented itself and it's like, I need to do something else. I do it. Right. I just read it and I do it and I shift and I knew I needed to do something. Now, but hold on. I did not shift immediately because I was making a shitload of money in TV. Yes. And I knew working in mental health, there are no mental health millionaires out there. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is going to really be a shift. But I knew I needed to do it and I was willing to sacrifice it. But I'm not going to lie. It took me a couple of years. I did all the research. I went to all the open houses at graduate schools all in Southern California. I applied. I got accepted at every school I applied to. But then I paused. Because I needed to really be ready to take the ship because I wanted to dive in. And when I dove in, I did not work at all. I just did graduate school for a full 12 months. Okay. How were you able to? Oh, because you had made money and you saved your money. I saved money. I shifted my life and just made a way so that I could do it that way. And then the second year I did, I would do school for a few months, a show for a few months, school for a few months, a show for a few months. And how many years did it take to get through graduate school? Not, you know what? I motored through that first year. I produced my graduate school. I fucking <laughs> produced that shit. It only took me two years. So, wow. Yeah, I started April 2012 and I graduated March of 2014. Wow. That's mm-hmm. impressive. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, if anyone's listening right now and they're like, yeah, I can't do the thing I want to do. I mean, that's exactly right. Like work your butt off, mm-hmm. save the money. 
Make a way. Make make a way. Make a way. Make a way. Because I didn't, I you know, I did the student loan thing, which totally fucking sucks, but I knew I needed, my, my undergrad major was hotel and restaurant management. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so I had to. How's that working for you? You know, <laughs> you know, but believe it, transferable skills. And I think that's like, yes. I did an interview, the very first well, business interview. business skills. It's people skills, mm. business skill, people skills. And I think it's prioritizing and, and knowing, like moving with a sense of urgency and knowing what the vision is and making sure that you're able to communicate with multiple people in the language that they're accustomed to and then bringing them all on board. That happens in restaurants. TV is the exact same thing. Mm. And then I also work, so I'm in private practice as a therapist, but I also work in an emergency room. So I work in an ER and it's the it's the exact same thing. It, it gives me that adrenaline rush. TV is I like an ER. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With less blood. Well. So yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking like, I got bitten by two dogs on a show. That oh, I there was blood. Yeah, okay. There was blood. But yeah, I think that. And, and I didn't have, like, my boyfriend wasn't paying for my way in school, wasn't paying for my livelihood. I didn't have parents to call up. Like, I was making, I knew I wanted to make this happen, so I took the time to make it happen. And I just didn't, there were no excuses, and I just haven't ever really done that in my life. It's like, if I want to do something, I'll figure out a way. Right. One of the reasons that I go back to as far back as we've gone, and we could we could go back to the beginning, really, is just to show this pattern of... You don't let somebody else's story or somebody else's idea of what you should do or be or become dictate who you are. And it sounds like sometimes when we go through trauma as a child, it can knock us down forever or it can actually help us discover who we are Mm -hmm. even younger Mm -hmm. and then move in that direction and then pivot. And then pivot again. Yeah. And then pivot again. And so I think it's really important to show sort of the evolution of your life because in the last four years, you've had your ass kicked again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and here you are sitting here. So can we talk about, um, I was reading a blog post that you wrote about radical self-care, which Mm -hmm. I think is an amazing topic. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm clicking on it because, you know, radical self-care, I've heard the term or whatever. And then I start reading it and I'm like, holy shit balls. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is a story. So let's talk about your life since 2016. You've been robbed, mm-hmm. endured a miscarriage, mm-hmm. the deaths of your mother, mm-hmm. grandmother, and best friend. Mm-hmm. You started and quit three jobs. Mm-hmm. You opened your business. Mm-hmm. You closed your business. <laughs> <laughs> and you assumed guardianship of your older sister's youngest child yeah. due to her drug addiction. hmm Let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, and you're the therapist. So it's like. <laughs> and there's so much more that like I was limited. I had a word limit. There was so much more that happened. Oh my gosh. When it's funny because I have a girlfriend of mine. Do you know Robin Latiker Johnson? Do you know her by any well chance? I know that name. She's a fucking powerhouse. She just got the most amazing promotion it owns. She's the head of development program oh, awesome. or whatever. Yeah. She's a fucking powerhouse. But she checked in on me. Like, she checks in on me regularly. And it's funny because we became friends because I I had two we had two mutual friends that both put my resume in to be her assistant at a network years and years and years ago. Wow. And I didn't get the job and I was like, what the fuck? I killed that interview. <laughs> 
you. And then I met up with her like weeks later, just randomly. She was like, honey, I was leaving that place and I didn't want to bring you on when I knew I was leaving. And I was like, like how sweet is that? So we've been friends ever since. And she checked in on me a few years ago. Maybe it was a year or two ago. And she does it periodically. And she's like, honey, what's going on? And I was like, all right, here we go. And I realized that there was something horrific that had happened every single month for 14 months straight. Whoa. Every single month for 14 months straight. And so whenever things keep happening to you, you can't really process anything because the next thing happens, cumulative trauma. Mm. So I grew up and I had a really traumatic childhood, like all the horrible things you could imagine happening, happened. But when I moved out, I've been on my own for a very long time, 17. When I moved out and my life became my own and I was able to control my own environments, everything was fine. I mean, just normal life stuff would happen, but nothing horrible. But in these last few years, just all these horrible things were happening. And I didn't take it as like, oh, Melody, you're being targeted. It was just life. But it was just like life was happening all nonstop, all on top of each other. And so, yeah, so it was, it was, it's a lot. And it's like, I don't even know how to dive into it because there were so many different things that went down and so many different emotions that happened. And I did things that I was proud of and I did things that I wasn't proud of to just keep going. I don't know how you get out of bed sometimes with, I mean, just like one or two of those things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about the things that you're not proud of, because I think here's <laughs> the thing. this is the reason, because I have experts on all the time and the ones who the community, the 40 Thrive community really um, appreciate and, and grasp onto are those who also share of themselves, who mm-hmm. also share that it's like, sure, I've learned this in the textbook and this is how you X, Y, Z but this is how I went through it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I give this advice is because I've discovered this for myself. Mm-hmm. And so did you find that some of your advice that you would give as a therapist was sort of like kicking you in the head while you were going through this? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that was such a crazy the, the crazy part of it. I mean, there were certain things that I would say to clients that, that I would say in my mind, you're a hypocrite. Mm. Like you need to be doing this too. And, but one of the things was, I think that I put myself up on a, on a level where I thought I'm a therapist. I should know how to take care of myself. I'm a therapist. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should have seen this coming and I should have known what to do to head this off at the pass. Right. I wasn't giving myself space to just be human and to be clueless. And to be sad. And it's a weird thing that as a therapist and you spend so much time, I mean, you, we diagnose people. That's part of our job is giving right. people diagnoses. And when you're a therapist and then you diagnose yourself with depression, whoa, that was a head trip. Yeah. That was a head trip. So I think that just allowing myself to be angry, I think was really important. Um, allowing myself to be angry that my sister went down the exact same road as our mother. Right. She made the exact same mistakes when she didn't start off that way. She held it together for a really long time. But I think the difference between my sister and I is that I went to therapy and she didn't. Right. Because we, I mean, and I've, I, in these last few years, I've gotten to the space where I've been able to get to a space where I moved away from the anger of being, I was, I was angry at her for a very long time. And now I'm in this space where I realize that 
Because I was like, I did this. Why can't she did this? do this? I made it through. Why didn't she make it through? But we didn't. I mean, we went through a lot of the same shit, but we didn't have a lot of the same resources. We, we didn't. And because she was older, there were certain things that, that hit her harder than they hit me because I was just younger and I didn't understand what was going on. Right. And so now I'm in a space where I had much more compassion for her than I had before. And that taking that, like, because a lot of times people can marinate in their anger and anger can be a part of your identity. And I did not want that. I don't like being angry. I didn't want to be angry, but I needed to allow myself to be angry so that I could process what was going on. Because if you're in denial of whatever the hell it is that you're feeling, you can't shift into problem solving mode if you're in denial. Yes. So I had to own all of it. I had to own feeling disappointed. I had to own being angry. I had to own being selfish and deciding that I need to do what I need to do. And I know that that doesn't make sense to you or to you or to you, but I need to do this for me because I'm fucking suffocating. And that was hard. That was hard because we live this world where we're in this like have to and should and this is what people feel that we're who we're supposed to be and this is your role. And fuck that. I blew that all out of the water. But the advantage that I had because of, you know, the parents that were non-existent or, you know, when they were there, they were very toxic. I didn't really have expectations on me of who I needed to be. And so I'm grateful for that. Like, and that's how I reframed not having these guiding forces that parents are supposed to be. I reframed that when I didn't even know what the fuck reframe was. But I was like, <laughs> right? I, I don't have these people telling me how I'm supposed to live my life. So it can be anything I want it to be. They didn't tell you who you are. No. They were so wrapped up in themselves. I was able to decide. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. But I knew what I didn't want to do. And that was enough. I knew who I didn't want to be. And right. that was enough. I knew how I didn't want to live. And that was enough. Right. And so I just did the complete opposite of what my mother did. And my sister did the exact same thing. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Where did you get the support that maybe your sister was? How many years apart are you? Only three. Three years apart. And so where were you able to get these tools to, do you think it was within you or was there someone on the outside? Like how did, what kind of support did you get that she wasn't able to get? It was a combination of things. My grandparents, our aunts and uncles, Mm -hmm. the parents of my friends growing up. And I only look back on it now, but I think that they truly knew what I was going through because I was always spending the weekends with my friends, you know, and, and there was never a no. I never got a no. Whenever it's like, Melody wants to spend the night. Is that okay? And parents were, they said yes every right. single time. But my aunts, I think it was my aunts and uncles that, that stood in where my mother wasn't capable. And she had her own trauma that I had to figure out. I had to, I had to allow her to be this fractured person because no one wants to disappoint their children. No one wants to have four children and fail them all. Right. Nobody wants that. And it's hard as a child to understand that it wasn't a choice necessarily for her to do that, but the lack of resources that she had mm-hmm. to ha- deal with the trauma that she had experienced. I mean, because you hear what strong black woman, you know what I mean? Like, it's so fucking dismissive. And please do not ever say that to a black woman at all. It's fucking <laughs> monumental. Whenever a black woman is going through something and then you tell her as she's trying to express what's happening, feel what's going on, express your thoughts. And then you say, but you're a strong black woman. That wipes the slate clean of all the things that she needs to feel so that she can get through whatever the hell she needs to get through. Mm. You're a strong black woman because within the American, in American society, black women, we've never been able to feel a fucking thing because we were taking care of other people's children before we could take care of our own because our own children were being sold off. 
So strong black woman, all that says is that you keep getting shit on and you just keep going. Well, because if you express your feelings, Melody, you're going to make me very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. as a white woman. Uh You know, so Uh if I call you strong and then I could just sort of like, that's like when somebody says, I understand, you know, before you've even finished saying what you're saying and you're like, how can you understand? I haven't finished. You don't know shit. So, so it's, it's sort of a way to stop you mm-hmm. from making anyone else uncomfortable. Exactly. And I don't give a shit about making other people uncomfortable. This is one, one of my favorite things about you. You know, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. I need to take up space. Yeah. Because I think for a long time, I, I, I was never given the, the permission to take up space. And most women aren't. Men take up space all fucking day long. Yeah. Just imagine, just, just walk down an aisle at a grocery store and there's a man that's taking up the whole damn space. And it's like, pardon me, you're not the, the grocery store wasn't built for you, asshole. Move. Move. Yeah. I had a guy, I was on one of my flights and I needed to put my bag in the overhead bin and there was a bag that was horizontally oh. taking over. And I was like, whose bag is this? And I was tapping on people's shoulders. Whose bag is this? And it was this dude. And he goes, oh, that's my bag. And I said, you know, the wheels are supposed to go out. Your bag's not the only bag that's supposed to fit in here. He goes, well, it's not going to fit if you turn it that way. And I said, it sounds like a personal problem to me. You're not the only person on this plane. Figure it out. <laughs> is that what you said? Yes. Oh, my gosh. How did he react? But he just stared at me. White guy looking at this black. Fuck right. you. I'm not. A- no. The world was not built just for you. But in America, right. it definitely looks that way. Right. So taking up space is a very important thing. And it's something that I've personally been working on for the last few years. And it's something I work on with my clients. Because when you're a child, children aren't allowed to take up space. Be seen, but not be heard. Yes. You know what I mean? Th- yes. That right there is so dismissive. It's so invalidating. We all have a right to express what is on our mind and what's in our heart and say what we need and say when we're in pain. Yes. And when you say, I understand, without someone even fully expressing what the hell is on your mind, or you say, you're a strong black woman, you are shutting someone down because of your discomfort, because of your emotional immaturity. That is not my job. Right. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. You deal with it however you please. So you weren't always this way. No. How? Because you know there are women listening and they're like, I would like to take up space. Mm -hmm. I would like to find my voice. I mean, that's my jam. Mm -hmm. How? How? What's the, like, the tiniest of baby steps to move in this direction Mm -hmm. of taking up space? What can we do? There are a series of simple things. Raising your hand when you have an opinion. Imagine. It sounds so simple, but yeah. that's a hard thing yeah, for a lot powerful. of people. Just raising your hand and expressing your opinion. Right. When you're standing in an aisle somewhere, not moving. When someone's coming towards you, you were there first. Don't move. They'll move around you. You, you, you occupy that space in that moment. Take up space. Mm. Say what you mean. And if that means saying no, say no. When you have children, it's a different thing. Your children, you're responsible for your children, their well-being. But when you're dealing with adults, you're not responsible for how they handle things, how they take things. When you don't want to do something, don't do it. And no, that person's going to survive. Right. Boundaries. It's Boundaries. Like, and, and the apologies that are constantly, I hate I'm that sorry, shit. but. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and that's one of the things I stop women all the time from saying, oh, it's raining outside. I forgot my umbrella. It's raining outside. Oh, I'm so sorry. What the fuck are you sorry for? You're not Mother Nature. <laughs> Shut up with the I'm sorry. This yeah. has nothing to do with you. But I think that's an I'm uh, taking up space thing where it's like you feel there are. I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine up in the, in the Seattle area. And she says, I'm sorry, every 30 seconds. Mm. And I was like, you have no idea how frustrating that is. And I love you. 
but we need to talk about this. Like, where is this coming from? And she never felt like she could take up space. She grew up with brothers and she always felt that anything that she needed was a burden to her parents. They did that to her. So she always felt like anything she needed was just too heavy for anything for anyone to bear. That's how she felt as a child. And that is an environment that they grew up in. But she's kept that going. She's 46 years old. So that's something that needs to be dismantled. When you do something and you and someone comments on it, someone when they're doing it out of love, you need to read that and not then feel bad about yourself that you're doing it, but go, wait a second, where did this come from? Because a lot of things that we're doing were survival things. We were doing these things out of survival because of early on, who we were early on. But we're not in survival mode anymore. Most of us just aren't anymore, but we're still carrying on all those things, all those methods, all those quote unquote skills to keep us going today. And they don't surface anymore. Right. I did stand up comedy. Of course you did. I know, I know. Is that crazy? <laughs> not because I wanted to be an actress or not because I wanted to be on camera. I, I just needed to speak and have people hear me. I did not know this at the time. I just did it. I had a couple of neighbors that were doing stand-up comedy, and I've loved it since I was a little girl watching Eddie Murphy when I shouldn't have, Raw and Delirious, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, yeah. whenever she did her, her one-woman show. And I've just always been obsessed with stand-up comedians, and I had these neighbors, and they were always working over their material, and I would like be there with them as they're working it, punch this up, ditch that, think about this, dive into that. And one of them said to me, Guy, he goes, you know what? You're really good at this. Why don't you fucking do it? And wow. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> And sounded then, like a challenge no, to me. No, no, no. And then I thought, huh. And I had a moment where I ended up writing. I sat down just some, like a couple of weeks after this, and I wrote, which was a set. I didn't even know what the, that's what you called right, it. Right, right. Wrote a set, texted him, and I said, oh my gosh, I wrote some jokes. And he's like, all right, I'll want to hear them when I get home from work. And then I performed them like a week later. And I ended up doing stand up for almost five years. Not with the goal of being a touring comedian, getting a special. Just, I wanted to be funny. And then years after I'd stopped doing it, I realized that I needed to be heard. Right. I was never heard It as wasn't a child. about the jokes. Mm-mm. I was never heard as a child. I was going through hell. We were going through hell and no one saw it. No one heard us. No one cared. That's how it felt. I felt that my voice didn't mean shit. Right. And then I did the complete opposite. I did, and it's it's a therapeutic intervention, opposite action, or whatever it is that you are accustomed to normally doing in a situation, do the complete opposite. And so I was accustomed to not speaking up, not raising my hand, not taking up space. And the complete opposite of that was doing stand-up comedy where you're standing up in front of you know, dozens or hundreds of right. people and you've got a microphone and they, all eyes are on you. And for someone who's really shy, like I used to cry and I used to, I used to run when people looked at me as a child. I didn't want anybody looking at me. My siblings made fun of me. Hmm. And then I, that's what I chose because I needed to get over this thing. I needed to be heard. And the weight of the goal was heavier than the weight of the fear. And I've been doing that in my entire life. What do I want? What is bigger? And to me, it was what was bigger and heavier was being heard. So I was able to use that and hold on to that to get past the fear of whatever was going to potentially stop me from doing anything. Right. You know what I think is really incredible and a lesson for us all is that you knew that you wanted to be heard. 
You knew that you had a voice that you wanted to get out there. And stand-up comedy may or may not be the vehicle for that. But you didn't sit and go, oh, is it stand-up? No. Is it speaking? Is it someday becoming a therapist and then being on TV shows talking about their like you just tried mm-hmm. you you move forward in your life mm-hmm. regardless of whether that is the long game mm-hmm. and I think at this point this age and stage you know over 40 40s 50s 60s wherever you are mm-hmm. you don't have to have it all figured out absolutely not to try and so that's one of the one of the the things that you do in your personal life, that is amazing, you know? And it doesn't, like even therapy, maybe in 10 years, you're like, I don't want to practice therapy anymore. Whatever. I'm like- already got other plans. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you're not, you know, you're not just doing your private practice. You're not just working in the ER. You are on camera. I mean, you should be on camera, you know? <laughs> it's very rare that I say to somebody like, you have that it factor, like you need to be, mark my words right here, 10.55 a.m., like, <laughs> You will mm-hmm. blow up in a very public way, in a very good way. Like it's it's happening. Yes. <laughs> you just need to show up for it. I feel it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it. it's, I feel it. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, in five years, if, if you're like, oh, I don't like being on camera and I just want to do something else, like you'll do something else, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's what I love because you know your life is like a series of tests. All of our lives are a series of tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that we put too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect all the time. To, and, and to make You need to make a 100% on all the tests. No. Right. You just have to pass. <laughs> right. You and sometimes just, that's and with sometimes, a D. <laughs> and sometimes you fail. And that's the most beautiful thing that could happen to yeah. you is, is failing and going, I fucked that up. <laughs> Um, I think, but you know what, having, you, you talked about having the long game or, or knowing where something's going to end. I think that's a luxury. N- being able to think about the long game is a luxury. And I never would have thought about it that way before. I never had that luxury until recently mm. because I was always in survival mode. Thinking the long game, I mean, g- good on you that you can plot like, you know, in those job interviews, where do you see yourself in five years? Fuck you. <laughs> I'm trying to get through Tuesday. You know, it's like, I, I, I never really put it in my mind that way. I never allowed myself to think too hard about anything because I knew that if I did think too hard, I'd talk myself out of it. If and, and, and I just trusted my gut. I think that was the thing. I think I got cues early on in my life that I would make certain decisions and things would work out for me. And I'd go, huh. And that was a confidence boost for me. I'd make a decision on something. It'd work out okay. Huh. I'm pretty good at making decisions. And so if something's in my heart to do, I just do it. And it just works out. Now, it working out doesn't need to make sense to anybody else but me. And I am the queen of reframing anything. So me, it working out, like I can pull it all the way back and go, see how this all worked together? And it was a piece of a bigger puzzle. Mm. It didn't look right in front of you. It didn't look like it was the right thing to do. But overall, it's it, it was okay. Well, that's a, such a powerful way to think about that. Because when we're looking at some, a situation so closely... And we're so fixated on how it's not working out. When you do pull back like that and you get more of a bird's eye view of things you've been through, more likely than not, it led to some other things that are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I even think that when it comes to breakups, like I think of, and I have these conversations whenever I'm in sessions with um, 
with clients. I think it's important not to think that a relationship ending is a failure. It's not. You can find something, something in that situation that you didn't have before, whether it's, I, I, I eat cheesecake now. I never had cheesecake before. <laughs> I never heard of that band until I met this person. Right. Or you really understand what a boundary is. And it's like, I know now that I can't, I'm not going to go down that road. And whenever I see that coming towards me, I'm going to turn in the opposite direction. There is a lesson to be learned in every single situation. I'm just not a person that feels that things that on the outside look like they're failures or their mistakes. I don't, I don't see life that way. Mm. Even with, and this is going to sound strange, even with my shitty childhood, I'm not one of those people, don't get me wrong, I'm not one of those people that says everything happens for a reason. That is bullshit. Because there is some heinous, heinous shit that happens in the world that should not be happening. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you can get through a situation and you can see there are certain strengths that you developed, certain lessons that you learned, certain skills that you wouldn't have had otherwise. There is this theory of thought. It's called post-traumatic growth. Have you heard of post-traumatic growth? No. Well, everyone's heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Post-traumatic growth is, um, there are, it's it's a group of people, I think it it kind of started gaining steam back in the 80s, and there were these studies that were done on people that had been through these traumatic experiences. And they'd done studies on people that had served during Vietnam, people that were, that had made it through the Holocaust, people that had gone and and survived natural disasters. And they did done these, they did these longitudinal studies on all these people that had gone through these hellacious experiences. And who are you now because of this horrible experience? And 60 to 80% of them are like, I'm some, I'm a better person now. My relationships are deeper. I see the world in a better way. I'm a more positive person. Because they'd gone through something horrible and their life had been in danger in some way. They were able to draw back and and get away from this horrible thing that happened. They were able to pull it back and go, wait a second, but look who I am now. And I love who I am now. And I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. Right. Finding purpose in what they had gone through. And I feel that way. In every single session I do, I shit you not, there is a moment that I have in every single session in the years that I've been doing therapy where there is something that I experienced that comes into that moment and I go, ah, see, there we go. And I'm able to share something that is able to give comfort to someone, give them a sense of insight in some way that I don't know if I would have otherwise, I mean, not every therapist needs to go through every horrible thing to be able to help you. That's not right, what I'm saying. Right. That's impossible. But I know for me personally, all the shit that I've experienced, it comes out in every interaction that I have with someone. And I am so unbelievably grateful. And that's how I've reframed it. All the things that I've gone through, they come out and I can help people with it. And so as I've dealt with my best friend dying and my grandmother dying and my mother, who we were estranged for years, but there's still that went like there was still stuff. I'm able to talk to people about being estranged from family members, mourning the living, mourning people that they live down the street. They live across town and that's your brother and you haven't seen him in 15 years. Right. I know what that's like it's a deeper level when you understand mm-hmm. and and you also i can only imagine provide some hope when you have gone through something mm-hmm. and it hasn't killed you yeah you know and that you're thriving today mm-hmm. even though uh, and maybe because of mm-hmm. those things well it gives you a sense of confidence and i think that's the most important thing when you go through shit i think it's important to understand that you go through shit who you are right now You've been through some shit and you've survived 100% of it. 
So whatever's coming next, yeah. there's a pretty good chance you're going to survive that yeah. too. Yeah. I did not coin that. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. I In one of my offices, I used to put a quote every single week. I would uh-huh. do a brand new quote every single week. And I came across that quote and I never changed it. You've survived 100% of the experiences that you've had so far. Yeah. So there's a pretty good chance you'll survive whatever is next. Yep. And it's, you know, I feel like we do ourselves a disservice for in two ways. Number one, the expectation that we're not going to go through shit mm-hmm. is so bizarre to me because... Who the hell are you? <laughs> why, would, why would your life be the what? only one? Why are you immune? <laughs> Please. So when we're surprised by going through shit... Um, I feel like it does us a disservice because how can you go through it if you're so surprised by it? You know? Oh, the second one is like not feeling it is going through it and then just trying to plow through it. And I have even recently um, posted in the community that I used to just plow through it. Mm-hmm. Like when I had my double mastectomy and mm-hmm. my hysterectomy and all my surgeries and my two kids under two and all of that stuff, like I plowed mm-hmm. through. I was like, look at me. I noticed that people were going to pay attention to me, whether I was like the victim of my circumstance or the hero of my circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, oh, throw on that cape. Let's go. Yeah. Now, at almost 49 years old, I don't necessarily have to be the hero to make you comfortable. I'm going to feel the stuff. I'm going to process the stuff. I might even take a few days Mm -hmm. to not get off the couch. Mm. And to have the kids make their own damn meals. Girl, and wear the same clothes <laughs> all of those days. All of them. Yeah. And have my hair up and, and not colored. You know, it's like... They'll figure it out. Yeah. And so I'm much more willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm really struggling right now. This is new for me. I'm, and and, and it's, it's a big deal because we're so accustomed to when, when someone says, how are you doing, Jackie? What do you yeah. say? Oh, great or fine uh-huh. or whatever it uh-huh. is. Yeah. So you were talking like, here's a tip. When someone asks you how you're doing, be honest. Mm. Just be honest. Because you saying fine is making other people. That's for other people. That is doing you a disservice. Right. Be honest and say, you know what? I'm kind of tired. You know, I'm a little scared. I've got some stuff going down and I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm pretty pissed off. Right. I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm pissed off, and this is the situation. And then the cashier is like, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I literally had a cashier say this to me. I went to one, I, I was getting my I groceries. Pictured, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was getting my groceries, and I was like, how are you doing? She's like, I just got pulled over by the cops. <laughs> and I go, really? She goes, and it was for no reason. He pulled me over because he said that my music was too loud. I'm like, I thought that only happened to black people. <laughs> and we, and, But she was honest. She was like, he pulled me over. That was just crap. And I was so grateful. We had this honest yeah. exchange. Yeah. She didn't say fine. Yeah. So don't say fine. And she didn't expect you to fix her problems. She just... Oh, and I think that's the other part of it. You don't need to fix someone. Someone when someone's opening up to you, you don't have to fix their problems. And that's coming from a therapist. Yeah. When clients come to me, they know that I was gonna say, they know I'm not gonna fix their problems. <laughs> the new ones, they assume I'm gonna fix their problems, but that's not my job. That's not my role. I'm not living your life. You're living your life. So whatever decisions get made, you're gonna, you know, reap the rewards or the benefits or suffer the consequences. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. What I'm gonna do is empower you so that you feel stronger and stronger being you. 
So you feel more confident making the decisions you need to make. And I think it's important for us to be really honest with how we're feeling because the only way that you can make sound decisions is if you're rooted in truth. Right. You have to be honest with what's going on because then you can problem solve. Yeah, I love how therapy, or at least your method of therapy, has evolved. Mm. That it's not go to therapy for the next 20 years Mm -mm. to rehash the same thing over and over again, but it's to empower them to make choices for their lives that 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 are aligned with them for them to like be powerful. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like I I have a therapist. I'm going to give him a plug. His name is John Elliott. The therapist that I had when I was in LA was um, this man, I'm telling you, what he just shifted things and and the way I saw myself and and helped me feel comfortable being me. And I didn't know I was uncomfortable being me. Mm. Think about that. That's interesting. Think about that. I did so he not- he sort of held up a mirror, showed you that you were uncomfortable being you, and then gave you the tools to actually get comfortable. Slowly, he did it slowly. He only worked with what I walked in the door with. Okay, whatever I came with, that's what we worked on, and that's what we worked with. Because I reflect on it now, there were things that 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 eventually came out that he could see in me that I didn't see things that I'd forgotten, things that I didn't know, things that I wasn't acknowledging because I see it in my clients. Well, they come in and they go, I think this is what my problem is. And in my mind, I'm like, Oh baby, no, (laughs) we'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. And how, how do you not just go know what your problem is? A, B, and C. Well, because you don't want to drag someone somewhere sooner than they're ready to go there okay. because they may not even realize mm. it. And that's the thing. It's like things need to come up. They, they come up in their own time. People need to make their own insights in their own time. And if you drag someone there and they don't have the tools to manage what comes up, you're doing them a disservice. I understand. That's the thing. You have to. So when it comes to doing trauma work, and I, I think a lot of therapists fuck up in this way and it pisses me off. Not all therapists are good. And if you've met with a therapist and it didn't work and you think all therapy sucks, no. Some people like Taco Bell. Some people like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody's different. Yeah. It's Burger King, McDonald's, or it's Wendy's. Yeah. Like everybody's different. And you need to find the person that speaks best to you. And you can't go to one person and wash it all away and say it all sucks. No, that person didn't click with you. Right. Keep trying. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. You're not going to date everybody. Right. So you're not going to do therapy and, and feel comfortable with everybody either. But one of the things I think is most important is whenever you're connecting with someone, you you have to feel comfortable to just walk in. The, and you've got to be able to spill your guts with that person. And if you don't feel that way, then you need to keep looking. But I think when it came to him, when it comes to trauma work, this is what a, a mistake that a lot of therapists do make and i think it's a it's it's a way that clients need to understand that if a therapist starts this way they are fucking up mm. when they expect you to walk in the door and they're like all right tell me about that rape right oh my god about that child abuse yeah hell no that's not what you do you have to build rapport first right. but you also and have help to, them feel safe oh my gosh and some people do that and it's like you're asking someone to open up this wound but you don't know if they have the tools to be able to close it up and go to work and take their kid to school Right. So trauma work, when you, if, if you've got trauma and you know you need to work through it with a therapist, you will know that they're a good fit for you if they're not asking you to dive into that shit. If you bring it up on your own, that's on you. 
Right. But if they're not pulling it out of you immediately, because the work is we need to establish a report and I need to make sure that you've got skills because stuff's going to come up outside of this hour once a week that we're together. Stuff's going to come up when you're at a fucking traffic light. When you're in the grocery store line, you're going to get triggered by something. I need to make sure that you know how to take care of yourself when you're away from me. Mm. And you have to know multiple ways to take care of yourself. It's self-care. You have to have a self-care routine that is tight. So as stuff is coming up, you know all the things to do to take care of yourself. Because therapy is not dependence. Therapy is not, I'm seeing you three times a week for the next 20 years. Hell no. I want you to feel as good as you can feel as fast as humanly fucking possible. And I don't want you to feel dependent on me. I want you to feel strong and confident in yourself, confident in yourself that you can take care of yourself as the shit goes down. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's a it's a great segue into the piece that you recently wrote about radical self-care, mm. because here you were going through like to go back since, you know, 2016, all these different mm-hmm. things. Um, also, you know, trying to have a child after years and years and years of not, not wanting, wanting. <laughs> Yeah, never, never having that. And then you married your husband. And you were like, oh, I suddenly now I want a baby. He you know what? He's such a phenomenal human being. And he grew up and had like that idyllic childhood mm. where, of course, he wanted children. He had the best childhood. His parents doted on him. Of course, he wanted kids. And so I never wanted kids because I had the complete opposite experience. Right. And but when I met him, I thought, hmm. This is what he wants to do. Let me think about it. And we dated for a really long time before we got married. Because I'm like, let me think about it. And then I thought, hmm, I could do that. I could do that with you. And we did try. We did try for a few years. And we tried the stuff. And it was hell. And all of the hormones and the shots. It was just hell. And every month and you're counting the days and sex becomes a job and it's no fun anymore. And your body doesn't belong to you anymore. And all that shit. And and then we got pregnant. And and then it was gone. And yeah. And it's like, and then in the process of us getting pregnant... Two of my girlfriends got pregnant and one, we were so close as, as couples, we were very, very close. They told their parents and then they called us Mm. and told us Mm -hmm. and I love them so much and of course love their child. Um, but I, I could barely be on the phone with them because I was like, what about, what about us? What about me? Why not me? And then one of my girlfriends got pregnant. And she decided she was single. She was just just been dating someone. She never wanted children. She and I have pretty much the identical childhood. And she I knew she was going to um, not have the baby. But in my brain, I was like, would it be awkward for me to ask her to have this baby and just give it to me? I'll take that blonde hair, blue eyed baby and raise that baby. Like, I really wanted to ask her to have the baby and give it to us. Um, and then, you know, it didn't happen for us. And then I got to a space where, okay, I'm done. And he didn't want to be done. Mm. He didn't want to be done. And I understand him not wanting to be done. He's younger than I am. He's almost 10 years younger than I am. And I just, I'm in my 40s. And just imagine like having a teenager and being 60 years old and just all, and I'm like, no, I'm done. We tried, we gave it the good old college try for over three years. I'm content with us being us. I like us. Right. He wanted more than that. So I had to walk away. And at the same time, the universe gave you your sister's child, mm-hmm. who was how old? Eight. Eight. Mm-hmm. And 
that must have been tough. Oh, girl. Especially during, tough enough as it is, but tough that you were going through what you were going through. We put that on pause. So when we knew she was coming, we put trying to have a kiddo on pause because it was like, all right, we got one that's going to be in the house. So we put trying on pause. And it was, I was initially, and I totally forgot about this. I was initially super excited to have her. I mean, I love her. She's, this kid is so amazing. And if you're taking a kid in, like, she's the best kid that you're going to take. Smart, funny, creative, resilient, adorable, just amazing. But it was the hardest. It was so fucking difficult because she looks just like me. And she was so triggering to me that I couldn't get out of my way to take care of her mm-hmm. because all I could see was myself and all the shit that I went through in my own childhood. And I'd gone through so much therapy and I'd processed so many things. And I was like, why the fuck is she bothering me? Why can't I do this? And that's when I realized, and it's something I talk about in my own therapy with clients, even though you process something and you could talk the, you could talk it to death, as you grow and evolve as a person and as you're, as, as you gain self-actualization is, is, is something when you get to that space where you're in that, when you're in that space where you're contemplating how you feel and how you think about things and who you want to be, if you keep growing, you will start seeing those things that you went through in new ways. You keep seeing those things in new ways. You feel them and you, there are nuances to your experiences as you grow. So if you think about something, you get triggered about an experience that you feel that you've processed, being triggered by it doesn't mean that whatever work you did to get through it doesn't mean that you failed at all. It just means that you've grown at a new level and it's time for you to see it in a new light, okay. in a different way. And you need to grow in a new way, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so as I had this mini version of myself in my home, I fucking fell apart. Because oh. I, I had to really come to terms with all the shit that I went through as a little kid that I'd put to bed. I tucked her in. Right. And here we go again. Yeah. Here we go again. And I just couldn't get through it. I couldn't get, I feel like I was in survival mode. And, 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 and I know it's hard to imagine a person that really wanted to be a mother and have a child. And now, Hey pal, you got one without stretch marks. (laughs) What the hell are you bitching about? It was so much deeper than that. Yeah. It was so much deeper than that that I and I never could have imagined it. I had a sense that something was going to go down because I was so upset that my sister had perpetuated the exact same cycle. Right. And I grabbed my niece because I didn't want to lose her to that cycle. I I wanted to make sure she was okay. And I still couldn't get around myself to be able to be a nurturer. Right. And that's when I realized I was never nurtured. And that was a hard pill to swallow. And to realize that I want this thing. I want motherhood so badly. And I'm doing it. And I suck at it. We all suck at it. Just (laughs) pro tip. (laughs) We all all suck at it. (laughs) I've got three of them. Still suck at it. Limping. (laughs) Limping. But it's, I mean, that's a hard thing whenever you, in, in, in our world, we're taught that yeah. the, the, the ultimate role to play as a woman is mother. And yeah. when you're playing that role and you're sucking at it, that's a knock at every part of you. It was for me. Do you think you were really sucking at it or do you think you weren't doing it at the level that 
you wish you could give her? Both. Both. I She deserved so much more, but I reflect on it now. What I was giving her was enough. There's a, there's a we call it the good enough mother. Like what I, she had a home. Our house was two blocks from her school. She walked to school. I mean, she had everything that she needed. She had way more than, than we ever had growing up as kids. She was cool. But in my mind, I felt I needed to have a Kate. Right. You know, I needed to make up for all the things that her mother didn't do. I needed to make up for her grandmother not being there. I needed to make up. But I was trying to be this mother that I didn't know how to be because I didn't have one. Right. And all she really, I mean, I'm not the therapist, but all she really needed was consistency. Mm-hmm. Presence. Yeah. It, huh. It's, it's, I mean, I, I have three children, two of them biologically and one through adoption. And um, my motivation for adoption um was to provide this, you know, my mom died when I was three and, and I wanted to, you know, I was a little girl who had a second chance, you know, when my dad got remarried and I always thought, Oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a daughter and I'm going to, you know, raise her and it's going to be amazing. And, you know, we don't, we really underestimate the power of trauma and how it can come up. Like you, I had worked through a lot of things in my life. And when this baby came home for a couple of years, I mean, it threw me into a tizzy, mm-hmm. especially like nobody talks about trauma bonding, uh-huh. where, you know, you have a child who's been through trauma the way my child had, and they latch on to somebody mm-hmm. and latch on hard mm-hmm. and only to that person. And guess what? It wasn't me. It was my husband. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one who had, you know, my whole life dreamed about this baby Mm -hmm. and this like slow-mo run to each other in the field, you know, (laughs) and, and here I was being left out. I literally could not be in the same room Mm -hmm. for months without my child screaming. Mm -hmm. And it was, it, it, it was torture. And so I can imagine without understanding really what you've been through, I can empathize with those triggers and how they come up. You know, and it Mm -hmm. was, I mean, I wasn't, obviously we're in a different situation. I wasn't raising someone else's child. This was my, legally my child. And so. But you were raising someone else's child. Well, yes. Somebody, exactly. Mm -hmm. However, you know, your sister is still alive. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these extra complicated layers Mm -hmm. that I didn't have. It was Mm -hmm. just like cut and dry. Like this is now our child. Yeah. So I can only imagine. But yeah, it's, it's. It's really amazing when things happen in our lives where we think, oh, it's going to be happily ever after, or, you know, maybe it's a person that you get involved with and there's something that they do and it just triggers, you know, stuff. And yeah. so, so you, you're, you, she no longer lives with you. Mm-hmm. She lives with other family members. Mm-hmm. And then you have since split with your husband mm-hmm. and you write about this um, because when I read what you wrote, I was a little bit gutted, like for you, yeah. <laughs> which is shows the power of your writing style, first mm-hmm. of all. But it's really not an unhappy ending mm-hmm. in that you have found your voice. I found me again. You found you again by letting go of some of these roles that you were trying to sort of like square peg, round hole, shove into your life Mm -hmm. that maybe weren't meant for you to shove into your life. Didn't fit. Yeah. Things didn't fit. And I had to, I had to acknowledge what wasn't working. I was in denial. Um, Actually, that's not true. 
back up. I wasn't in denial. I was screaming. I was in, I was angry and I was in so much pain and I was pissed off. And, and I was telling my husband all these things and all these things that I was feeling and he just fucking ignored it. And that triggered me thinking of my mother because I was growing up in this childhood going through hell and it's like no one saw it and I was totally ignored. And there I was with this person that's supposed to be the closest person to me. My mother was supposed to be the closest person. My husband was supposed to be the closest person. And these people are, they're invalidating me. They're ignoring what's going on with me. Fuck that. I got to do something else. I got to pivot. And I didn't know exactly how to pivot without hurting people. I didn't know how. And then I realized like, okay, so no one's going to be happy. That's not going to work. Um, I need to be happy and and trust that everybody else is just going to be okay because these people existed and they lived before they ever knew me. <laughs> Speaking of my husband and and with my niece, my niece, she we have other family members. There were family members that caught me. She's been caught, you know. And right. that's the thing that I needed to remember. I needed to take it. I needed to like strip it down to the studs and go. Okay, what's what? What do I need to do? Who do I need to be? I need to be okay happy out the window I, I i think that that happy like looking for happiness i just think that that to me it's sometimes it's a juvenile way of of you know, safe you know calm healthy content stable you know what i mean just being stable i think could be a goal and i i needed to make these decisions so that I could be okay again because my, I, I, you know, had meltdown. I, there was a job that I really wanted. I wanted this ER job. I'd, I'd interviewed and got offered this job working in the emergency room. And I turned it down because I'm like, I can't do that job. It was a per diem job. Mm-hmm. No benefits. I can't do that job. I've got a child coming. I need to take this job with the 401k. And I was dying in that job, fucking dying. And I remember... In this job, I my first or second day, I'm in this conference room. I was working at a fucking insurance company. <laughs> and I was in a conference room because there was a presentation by this company that they were talking about ostomy bags oh. and the enthusiasm these people had <laughs> talking about ostomy bags. And I was like, oh, my God, kill me right now. I left. I excused myself from the room to go to the bathroom. And I bought all these clothes because in production, you're wearing flip-flops and tank tops and you're just super casual. And even in certain therapy environments, casual. And I had to buy all these fucking clothes to be presentable to work in this office. And I'd gone to the bathroom. And as I was walking back to the conference room, I'm walking and I'm looking down on the ground at my shoes that were closed, toed, and ugly. (laughs) And the dress that I had that was just below the knee matched the carpet. As I'm walking, (laughs) it was like the green mile that Tom Hanks movie. I'm like, I'm going to my death as I'm going back to this fucking uh, uh, conference room to hear about ostomy bags. And I lasted two months at that job and I had multiple meltdowns because I was just unhappy and I felt like I wasn't being true to me. For the first time in my life, I wasn't doing what I needed to do. I'd sacrificed me for other people and fuck that. Yeah. I quit that job and I called up that that uh, boss at the hospital and I was like, is the job still open? Because I want to do that. I reclaimed my life. Wow. I quit the job. I took the job that I really, really wanted. I created boundaries around taking care of my niece, which eventually a full year later is when she went back to Texas to be with family left my marriage. I needed to make these moves. And I have a girlfriend that's a therapist here locally. And she and I always text each other. We don't really talk on the phone. Like once a year, we talk on the phone. We would text. 
And she was texting me and checking in on me. And I was like, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. And she was like, damn, girl. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, she's like, I can't get you out of my brain. We need to talk. And so she's like, you've just blew up your life. You just threw a bomb in your fucking life. And I was like, yeah. She goes, Mel, what you've done is radical self-care. Mm. You put yourself first. And her thing is, it's me first. She She's a therapist and she pushes, her name is Denise Williams. It is all about, you've got to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. And I had to make these really big moves. And she she's the one who asked me to write this blog. Because she was like, what you've done a lot of people would think these are selfish moves. A lot of people would think these are, this is whatever they want to think. Fine. You don't make those decisions for your life. I need to do this for me. What I need to do for me doesn't need to make sense to you. Right. What I say to couples when I've done couples counseling is like each couple needs to make their own rules and those rules don't need to make sense to anybody else. You as an individual, what you need to do for you doesn't need to make sense to anybody else. And these are the things that I needed to do to, to breathe again, to be me again. Because I feel like I was asleep for years and I didn't know I was asleep until I woke up. Yeah, I hear that story a lot. And I love that you are so willing to be vulnerable and to be to take up space and to share your story because I think it really helps other people. And there's one thing that you wrote in your piece that like, just got me, but you said, I choose me and I look forward to the day when a woman choosing her own path isn't considered radical when you talk about radical self-care. And you're absolutely right. And I think you're living by example. Trying to. It, I, yes, trying. We're all trying, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're perfect and like now everybody needs to like, you know, attend the Church of Melody. So <laughs> Worship. <laughs> but we can learn from your experiences. And, you know, I want to get to a couple of questions because I did put in our group, ask if anybody had any questions. So I do want to answer some of those. But I also want to, you know, really acknowledge the fact that maybe it is time for someone listening to blow up their lives. And maybe it's just time to reframe like you do or reshape. So how do you know the difference between... I got to blow this up and like, I'm just bored. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think that- it's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> no, seriously, because I think we all try, especially as experts, like mm-hmm. you're an expert in this field. And the fact is you don't know everything. And I love that you're willing to go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm not the expert in Jackie's life. Right. I barely, I, 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 I'm not the expert in someone's life. And I think that's the thing. I think that, I think confidence in making your decisions and knowing that you're going to be okay is what should see you through whatever decisions you make. Like, again, you don't need to know what's happening on the other end of a decision a year from now, 10 years from now. You don't need to know that. But I think that if you just have confidence that whatever you decide to do, you're going to be okay, then you make whatever decision you need to make. Just make the decision. Right. Because if something... If I, I was doing therapy with a teenage girl that was doing drugs and running away and, and just really disrespectful and she was just, she was blowing her life up and I was doing the therapy with her and then I would bring the mom in and I would do it with mom and stepdad and mom was just so rigid about how she wanted to raise this child and I said, so how long, she, this is a 16 year old girl, I said, so how long has she been like this? She's been like this since she was five years old and I said, so you have, you've been parenting her like this since she was five? And she goes, yes and I said, well you're fucking up. <laughs> You've been doing the same thing the same way for years and you haven't gotten a new result. So what the fuck? Do something different. 
different. And I think that's the thing. We have to get into that space where if we're doing the same, we've heard this before. Yeah. If you keep putting in the same ingredients to the soup and you get the same ingredients and you're like, why is this soup taste the same? What the fuck? <laughs> it's Do the definition of insanity, yes. isn't it? Doing the same Do thing. Do something different and be okay with, the, yeah. with, with not knowing how it's going to turn out. I think yeah. that we, we're in this space where we have to be perfect. We got to make the perfect decisions. And you got to let go of that yes. to survive. You got to let go of things being perfect and looking perfect because that just serves other people. That's not doing anything for you. That pressure, that stress of things need, neatly tied up in a bow. No, life's messy. Yeah. So just try things. Try. And know that it may not turn out the way you expect. And half the time, I mean, even more than half that. the time. Yes. And, and for me, if life turned out the way I thought and planned. How much it, would your life suck right now? Right. Right? Because, and I've said this before, we can only imagine what we have seen. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to go, okay, I've, I've done all the work and I've done all the things I need to do. And then sort of like, let it go and see what the world and, and your life has to offer. Mm-hmm. Because it can be pretty damn magical in some ways. I mean, look at you, you just travel the, you know, the, the yes. world. And yes. you had all these experiences. Four countries in three weeks. And and you may have not done that <laughs> mm-hmm. had your life been going in the direction that you wanted. Well, I was Or dis- that you pictured, I should say. I was discouraged from doing that type of thing. Um, and I think that like I needed to do this. I needed to reclaim me. And that was the thing. I need to make a life that makes sense to me. Yeah. My life doesn't need to make sense to anybody else. And I think that is what people need to own. Stay in your own fucking backyard. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's that judgment and we're in this world, this social media world where people are putting these fucking comments out there. And I'm just like, when you acknowledge someone's stupidity, what does that say about you? (laughs) That's putting everybody on the same level. And it's like when when, when it all comes down, the people that matter most to me are, are a select few friends and family members. I still do whatever the hell I want. But we're putting everybody on the same level where everyone's comments and, and opinions are on the same level yes. and carry the same weight. And no, they fucking don't. No, they don't. Yeah, that's such a great point. Mm-mm. You know, it's I mean, how many times as a podcaster, it's like, you know, someone gives you a bad review. I've seen this with other, nobody gives a bad review over here. But <laughs> you ignore all the good but, stuff and yeah. you dwell on the shit. Yes, and it could be like some, you know, person in there who, who just had a bad day who, you know. Who's never had the guts to do a fucking thing and they're shitting on you. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that whole Brene Brown thing, right? Exactly. Where that's exactly it's where always the people going. who are not in the arena <laughs> who have every opinion about <laughs> what you're doing. Screw them. Yeah. And so if you are doing, wanting to do something and all the people, the naysayers, the, you know, the critics are doing none of it Mm -hmm. and not even trying, put it in perspective. Be careful with who you solicit comments from. Yeah. Be careful who you get advice from. I would always, anytime I've said, that's the thing. It's like, I never had parents. I never had guides. So if there was anything that I wanted to do, I would seek out those people that were doing those things that I wanted to do. And so it's not okay that you just, whatever it is that you've got inside you that you want to do, that you bring it up to someone who hadn't done shit with their life. Right. They don't, they can't, they're not on your level. That's not fair to you to solicit advice from someone who hasn't done a fucking thing. Right. And who has their own baggage. Thank you. That may be like, oh my God, don't go outside because that's dangerous outside. They're afraid. That doesn't mean that you need to be afraid. Yes. yes. Okay. So let's hit some of these uh, comments and questions. Okay. So one of the lovely members in the 40 Thrive community um, talks, 
is asking about anxiety over 40, Mm -hmm. which I've seen a lot as far as anxiety. It's like, I know that there's hormonal stuff and all that. And and I always say like, go talk to your doctor or whatever. And and that's always first and foremost. But what to do when life experiences trigger anxiety over 40? Mm. I think it's important to, you can take this in a couple of different ways. Like what is, what's bringing on the anxiety? Is it something that you need to lean into? And I hate that fucking phrase. Is it something that you need to do? Like, I'm anxious. Like, my job is crap and I need to look for another job and I'm feeling anxious because I need you to look. You need to lean into that. You mm-hmm. need to look for another job and you need to, you know, see what your prospects are. You need to die. Doing something, being productive can help manage anxiety. Feeling productive and not letting it take over. Doing something about it. Sometimes we take on things that have nothing to do with us. And so I do this thing with, and I I need to coin, I need to create a really snazzy name for whatever this thing is, but I do this thing called exit out. That's what I used to do where it's like, you make a list of all the things that are on your mind, everything that's causing any kind of feeling or emotion, just write it down. My kid has autism. I could get fired. My husband's overweight. You know, all those things, I can't pay the rent. Write all that, all that stuff that's in your mind, write it all down. Put a big X over the shit you have zero control over. Put a big X on it. Mm. You've got to put, you, tell, you, you can't do something. And then put your energy in the things that you can do. Taking that a step further is, I call it the four Ds. Again, I need to come up with a snazzy title for yeah, whatever the do. hell is. <laughs> the four Ds. So, so, and I break it. It's just four different things. Because I had a client that came in. She is a school teacher. She's engaged. She is parentified. She takes care of her parents and her grandmother. Did you coin that term or is that real? Oh, no, 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 no. This is Oh, that's a thing. It's okay. a psychological term where basically it's like you're, you've robbed a you're child the- of their childhood where they have to be an adult at a very young age. Right. And, um, and so she came to me and she was very upset because her, her parents have basically put everyone's livelihood in her lap. She bought the house. Oh She's not God. even 30 years old. And so she came in and she was just really overwhelmed. So I'm like, all right, we're going to break this shit down into four different columns. Do, delay, delete, delegate. Hmm. Do are all the self-care things, the things that bring you joy, the things that you really want to do. You want to go on a walk. You want to train for that marathon. You want to scrapbook. Whatever it is you want to do, do those things. Delete all the shit that has nothing to do with you personally. Things that are other people's responsibility. That ain't on you. Delete it. There's something you want to do. I think that we have this feeling that we need to feel productive all the time and we always have to constantly be doing. We don't always have to be constantly doing. She needed lesson plans done, but she's getting married next year. And I said, honey, no, delay. There's so many things that you can delay. You don't have to handle this certification and all that. That's not pending. Delay all of that stuff right now. And then delegate. She was doing all the wedding planning. Her fiance wasn't doing a damn thing. And I was like... She's like, but I'm afraid that he won't pick the right DJ and I'm afraid that he won't pick the right this and afraid of you won't pick the right that. I said, then go ahead and be anxious and, and be a control freak. But if you want to let some of this go, you got to put it in his lap. What don't you give a shit about? She didn't care about the music. Mm. Give him the music. And I said, and don't be on his ass about the DJ and the songs. Just let it go. You're trying to help yourself. Let it go. Right. The bar and the, the bartender, let him handle that shit. You don't need to deal with all of that stuff. You're both getting married. It's not just you. So I'm a big fan of just breaking stuff. Write it down. Because sometimes you need to be validated. It's a, it's a step in validation. I feel like, crap, look at all these things that are on my mind. Yeah. Take a breath. You're juggling all these things. Take a breath and go, yeah, no wonder you're so stressed out. 
and then divide it up. Do the things you want to do. Do the things that you absolutely have to do. Doctor's appointments, those things. But look for all the things that you can just delete, mm-hmm. dump, delegate, or delay. I love it. I love it. And it's so true. And, you know, you tapped, you touched into the whole, like, we have to be busy all the time. Mm-mm. And I think that that was definitely, I mean, how many times do you talk to somebody and you're like, oh, I'm so busy. And they're like, oh, well, I'm busy times 10. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, it's a competition. It's a competition. And it's like, we're getting our validation from it. And that's not where the validation comes from. It's a burnout contest. Yeah. It's crap. It's not okay. We need time to just do nothing. And we've done this as women. We've been conditioned and socialized that you need to be doing all the things. And if you're not doing all the things, then you're not a good wife and you're not a good mother and you're not a good friend. Fuck that. You're burning yourself into the ground. Right. We need time to do nothing without guilt and without judgment. Just breathe. Just go on a walk. Yeah. Just Pull out a puzzle. Go to a movie. <laughs> Stare out the window. We need to know know how to be bored again. Mm -hmm. We used to be creative. That's where creativity comes from. From taking the time to just breathe. And you know, when it comes to dealing with anxiety, I mean, there's therapy, there's breathing, there's meditation, there's exercises, all those things that you can do. But I think a big part of it is just deciding what needs to be in your lap and what needs to be in somebody else's lap. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Two more questions. So um, one person is asking how to deal with being laid off over 40. This is definitely, we've talked about this on past episodes with career counselors and Mm -hmm. and, um, consultants and things like that. But, you know, if you're looking for steps as far as how to market yourself and all that stuff, like you you can absolutely, I'll link to those episodes in the show notes. But it's more than that when we're Laid off over 40, we're like, I'm never going to work again. Mm-hmm. I am I am no longer valid. I am no longer relevant. I am no, you know, all of those mm-hmm. things. Um, so how do you deal with that? Well, I think that it, what comes up to me, it's like, it's like a knock at our identity. I think that it's important for us to know who we are internally outside of all the external stuff that gets added to us. You really need to know who you are outside of being a mom, outside of being a friend, outside of being a daughter, outside of being an employee. That's what you need to work on because jobs come and go. And it's important to not take it so personally because we were just talking about there are things that happen in life that we can't, we can't predict, but we need to understand that, that being laid off could be the best thing that happens to her. Right. What she needs to own is who you are is not that job. And if you feel that your identity is connected to that job, then that's where the work is. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point. Because that's not, we're not irrelevant. And like, when I think about aging out and all that, and I could talk about that all day, and and I'm constantly trying to encourage women to innovate, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and what is it that the experience that you have, but I think we stop appreciating the experience that we have, Mm -hmm. but there is something that might be different from what you've been doing Mm -hmm. that really requires and celebrates all of your experience Mm -hmm. and doesn't just look at you as, you know, uh, a dollar sign and an age. Mm -hmm. I believe it's just a pivot moment. I think it's a pivot moment where it's like, you need to decide who's in charge of your life. Yeah. Who is in charge? I want you to be in charge your- of my life. Would that be okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm limping and when it comes to my own. Um, but I think that's the thing. It's like, who's in charge of your world? Is it that employer? 
You know, and 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 that's right. what that sounds like to me. You have to be in control and 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 be the captain of your own ship. And I think that there's always opportunity. Age doesn't mean shit. I've got a girlfriend in the Seattle area. She she retired last year. She's 64 years old. She retired. She started up two companies. Age out my yeah. ass. Yeah. Take this as an opportunity to to breathe and figure out who you are and become more 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 confident and in control of what your destiny is going to be. Yeah. Forget aging out. You're aging up. I mean, everything you do, everything, everything you've done in your life comes to who you are right now. Use all those things. You losing this job isn't a knock at who you are as a human being. It's just time to pivot. And you've got control and you've got time to do that. So you don't have this job taking up 40 hours of your time. To fit. You're putting all your energy into somebody else's crap. Put some time and energy in your own stuff. I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, last question. A huge percentage of women over 40 are on medications for anxiety and or depression. I would love to hear a mental health professional, that would be you, <laughs> talk about why. Mm, why people are on so Do you think so we're over-medicated? Are. Yes. I really do. I think that when it comes to medication, I think that you need to do all kinds of things before you go to medication because there are... Don't get me wrong. We all have, every brain has chemicals in it and all of our chemicals are at different levels. Yes. And certain things, talk therapy or going on a jog and going to the gym, certain things, uh, they can't be controlled by physical activity or talking to someone or scrapbooking. Sometimes you do need a medication to shift the levels in the brain. But I do believe that we are in this space where we're looking for instant gratification. And medication does that. I had a conversation with someone last year that had just started, lots of anxiety, just started taking anxiety medication and was having an anxious moment while we were together. And he goes, these fucking pills don't work. These fucking pills don't work. And I'm like, because it's not like you've got a headache and you're taking care of the headache. You've got a lot of shitty trauma that you're not dealing with. Right. That's the root of, that was the root of his issue. Right. This underlying stuff that he never wanted to deal with and he thought he could pop a pill and that would wash everything away. I believe in medication combined with some type of other intervention. I think we are looking for ways to not deal with what's right in front of us. And it's our cell phones and it's television. It's all those distractions so that we don't get to the real deal. Nobody had the perfect childhood. I had a really shitty childhood. I'm not the only one. There are no perfect parents. Therefore, there are no perfect childhoods. Hmm. We've got some stuff that is so deep-seated that started way back when we were 6, 7, 8, and 12. That if we dealt with those things and confronted those things, the anxiety that you feel now that you're being triggered by now, if you t tacked it on to what happened in the past, you wouldn't have it. Yeah. We're looking for quick fixes. I believe, obviously, there are certain, there's PTSD. I think that a lot of times people don't understand that PTSD is not a forever diagnosis. Most people don't know that. Most people say, I got, I got my PTSD. Yeah. I got it. And it's just like, it's like a it's tattoo. Like an, it's an accessory <laughs> yeah. and it matches these shoes. And I'm taking my PTSD to this. Wedding. <laughs> no, PTSD is not a lifelong diagnosis. If you work through the trauma, it's gone. Right. It's gone. But you've got to work through it. And I'm not saying it's easy to, to confront these issues. I'm not saying it's easy to talk about the old stuff. I'm not saying that it's hard as shit. It is hard to talk about those things that rocked us to our core. It is hard, but it is worth it. Mm. You know, I was talking to a friend yesterday who was really struggling this weekend with just feeling, you know, 
she had been through a lot lately and she was feeling, um, and when I say a friend, it really is a friend. It's not me, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Although it could be. But she was just feeling a lot. And it and it seemed like out of nowhere. Yeah. It seemed like, um, why am I suddenly this way? And it was like, well, it, let's let's list all the things uh-huh. you've been through in the past, you know, year or whatever. And mm-hmm. this is like perfectly normal and natural and expected. Mm-hmm. And so I was saying to her, I think the biggest disservice we do to ourselves is judging our feelings, mm-hmm. right? I said to her, what would happen if you were like, wow, I feel like crap today and I'm Just going to it. feel like crap and I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to eat haagen mm-hmm. and whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is not sponsored by haagen but <laughs> it should be. It should be. <laughs> I, I probably go Ben and Jerry's anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we that's that's where it really... And I bring this up because I do, I, I have historically done this to myself as well mm-hmm. when I go through things. And then if I feel the things and be like, what's wrong with me? Because so-and-so is going through A, B, and C, and I'm only going through D, it's E, and F. Competition. Like, like, and so I, I, you know, compare my life and go, I have no right to feel this way mm-hmm. when it's okay when you just feel like shit mm-hmm. to feel like shit mm-hmm. and go, hey, you know what? Today... I'm feeling like shit and I'm going to allow myself to. Mm-hmm. I think it's the biggest gift we can give ourselves. Oh, and, and to each other. It's yes. so extremely necessary. It's that when and someone not have says, to fix. how are you doing? And you say, I feel like shit. Yeah. That that opens yeah. it up for both people to go, to be honest. Yeah. That's what that gift is that you're giving to someone when you're honest with who you are. That's telling that other person that they can be honest too. Right. I had years ago, what the, the seed that was planted in therapy was... It was the very first producing job that I ever did. All of the associate producers were going out to happy hour. And there was a producer that I was assigned to. And I thought she was the coolest person on the planet. (laughs) And I was like, come with us to happy hour. It'd be really great for us to get to know each other. And she's like, honey, I can't go tonight. My husband and I go to therapy every Wednesday. If we don't go to therapy on Wednesday, we don't make it to Thursday. (laughs) And I'm this Texas girl. And it's like, you don't talk about what happens in your home. And you don't talk about therapy. And I was just... It blew my mind that she was so open and so honest without shame saying that she needed help. And that never left me. That never left me. And 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 I think that's the thing. She showed me that she didn't need to be perfect. She showed me that you can be vulnerable. She showed me that you can talk that talk about not having all the answers. I needed to hear that. Because yeah. I was told that you don't ask people for advice and you don't talk about what you don't have figured out you don't you don't show vulnerability you don't show cluelessness one of our mutual friends said to me something years ago and I'll never forget it she said I see you Hmm. she goes I see you and I see what you carry you think I don't see you but we see you wow yeah how powerful and that was god more than 15 years ago and, and the initial thought was, I was scared shitless. I don't want someone seeing me. I don't want someone seeing me anxious and scared and depressed and clueless. And I didn't want anybody seeing that shit. I see the value in it now. Yeah. I want to be seen. I want everyone to yeah. see all my stuff because it's a shorthand. When you see someone's stuff, then you know where to dive in. If you're showing them, hey, everything's perfect and I got to figure it out, then I then you don't need my help. I'm going to be over here. When that's the exact opposite. You want to draw people in. And being vulnerable actually draws people in. Yeah. And so when you're talking about a lot of people are on medication for anxiety, I think be honest about what you're anxious about. What are you afraid of? 
Are you afraid that you're going to lose your home? Are you afraid that you're, you're not in love anymore? Are you afraid that your kids aren't going to get, you know, fruitful, gainful employment? Talk about what you're scared. Give it some air. It's okay. We're all afraid of something. Yeah. It's okay. You're human. It makes sense. Give it some breath and then go, we'll figure it out. Or we won't. Some things you won't figure out. But allow yourself to be scared because we need that validation. Right. And I love that somebody had the courage because I, I believe that if someone were able to say to you, I, I see you, that she maybe at some point in her life did not feel seen mm-hmm. and not only... And needed to. Yes. So desperately yes. needed it. And not only acknowledging that, but giving that as a gift to another woman who 15 years later still remembers it. Yep. And I think if there's anything that we can do for each other is to speak up when we can and and say the things Mm -hmm. instead of just think them and then keep going because you have no idea the impact that you will have on another human being, Mm -hmm. you know? So be be courageous. Say the thing. <laughs> we we are powerful. I mean, each individual, we are so powerful. And I think that's the thing. It's like we really need to understand just how powerful we, for we are in our own lives and the ability to help other people. Yeah. That power. Use that power. You are fantastic. <laughs> right back at you, sister. <laughs> I have really enjoyed this conversation so much. My God, me too. You know, the, the combination of like, do the thing. Be the powerful woman that you are and also feel the shit. Share the shit. Share the shit. It's a big... That's the hashtag for this one. <laughs> Share, Share the, the shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> because it 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 provides a deeper connection. Mm-hmm. I recently went to a gathering of women and I didn't know many of them. And we made little bracelets with our word for the year. And, you know, and in past I do thrive and I do this and I do, you know, all this like powerful rah-rah, I'm going to go, you know, world domination. And I chose the word connect Mm -hmm. because in 2020, I know I can do all the things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm pretty confident in that. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that I have sort of isolated myself as someone who's doing a lot of interviews via Zoom, you know, and, and working from home and raising kids at home. And I, it's it's so easy to kind of feel like an island. Mm-hmm. And the connection with other women is so powerful and empowering and just fulfilling. And it's how we're built. Yeah. We're built. I mean, we're we missing all t- those villages, the village, you know. The village was beautiful and it served us for so long and yeah. we we don't have that any longer. Right. And we and we try to go through life acting like we don't need it. Mm-hmm. And I'm no longer at a place of trying to pretend that I don't need the connection. Human being, we need each other. Yeah. We're built that way. And I think that's the sad thing is when we act like we are islands and I've got it all figured out and I only need me. We are built to lean on each other and love on each other and 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 live together. And we should be able to do that without shame. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, where do people find you? Where, because you know, do you do, um, is all of your work in person? It is for now. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I've actually, you know, started a couple of podcasts that I actually need to 
get out there. I'm so not tech savvy at all. I'll help you. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm working on a couple of different uh, projects and hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll be on awesome. on TV again. Because that's the thing. It's like I love doing individual therapy. I adore my clients and I feel so humbled that they allow me into their lives. Um, but I really feel that the next step for me is to be putting it out there and yeah. trying to bring people together and help as many people at a time as possible. So your I'm, messaging is so important. I mean, the four D's and the the Xing and all of that stuff, like you need to, that needs to be triumphing yeah. through trauma. You know what I mean? Like you just that your yeah. experiences don't have to knock you down and they don't have to be your identity. You learn from them and you just keep on keeping on. I love it. So what's the best way to reach out? Uh, I've got a website, okay. uh, parkstherapy.com. All right. Yeah. And they can find you there. Yeah. Melody, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jackie. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't hit that subscribe button, do it now. That way you'll never have to go searching for another episode. And don't forget to share this with a friend. There's some powerful stuff in there I think she really could benefit from. Until next time, take care and keep thriving. Spring has sprung, and with the change of seasons, sometimes comes an increase in vitality. If you're feeling in the mood for a little more personal time, may I suggest Coconut. Coconut is all about providing clean and natural ingredients when you're enjoying your most intimate moments with or without a partner. Naturally safe products developed by people who are obsessed with quality. Get 15% off with promo code GROWNASS at grownasswoman.guide forward slash coconut. That's 15% off with promo code GROWNASS at grownasswoman.guide forward slash coconut.